Hello listeners, episode 250 of Retro Encounter is on the horizon, and we are doing a mailbag episode. Please send emails to the address retro at rpgfan.com, and on episode 250 we will read aloud and respond to as many emails as we can. The questions can be whatever you like, but we especially want recommendations for games to play on the podcast, because we will be choosing one game suggestion from episode 250 for a Retro Encounter episode later this year. Now here is the latest episode of Retro Encounter. Welcome to episode 246 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and today we're here with a special panel to discuss a special game, uh, starting with Joe Padilla. Hello. And Zach Wilkerson. Howdy. And making his triumphant return after an absence of, I think, larger than three years, Nilsson Carroll. Hello. <laughs> All right. So, uh... Gentlemen and lady, we're here to talk about Tactics Ogre Let Us Cling Together, which is a Super Famicom RPG that had ports to the PlayStation and Saturn, and then an eventual port to the PlayStation Portable. I think we're all playing the PSP version, but uh, it's had its fans in an extreme niche for more than 20 years, because even though I think that, uh, that PlayStation version was really, really rare to find in North America. It's one of the rarer PlayStation uh, games uh, in terms of its, if it's like, uh-huh. if, if, it's and it's, <laughs> if it's reach and it's printing. But uh, it, it's been a, a niche fan favorite for many, many years and is uh, was developed by the Quest team led by Yasumi Matsuno. And Matsuno went on to make a lot of iconic level video games, mostly for Square Enix, including Final Fantasy Tactics, Vagrant Story, and Final Fantasy XII, all three of which we've covered on this podcast before. So we are Matsuno fans here, and some people consider Tactics Ogre, Let Us Clean Together, to be Matsuno's magnum opus. But before we uh, talk about Matsuno some more, let's go into each of our personal backgrounds with the, uh, I, don't know what the I don't know what the proper name of the series is. I, I, I like calling it the Ogre Saga, uh, just because... The, that works the, for me. I, I, think the, I, I like the, the use of the double G. But um, to the Tactics Ogre Ogre Battle subseries of three and two halves games <laughs> uh starting with you joe what's your background with the ogre saga so this is my first game uh in the ogre saga that i've played um but i'm quite familiar with uh with yasumi matsuno this is my fourth uh matsuno game having played uh over the past year uh final fantasy tactics vagrant story and 12 so so i really like this guy <laughs> Yeah, you've been binging Old Matsuno a little bit. Oh, I love, I really love him. <laughs> we will talk about him some more in a moment. But uh, before then, Nilsson, what's your background with the Ogre Saga? Or maybe uh, Matsuno in general? Well, I love Matsuno. Final Fantasy XII is my favorite Final Fantasy. Like, everything he touches is like gold. Um, I remember when Ogre Battle 64 came out. And it was, like, so hard to find. And I was, like, a little kid and, like, going to all these, like, 
used game stores and like oh uh, yeah like i was like a little kid like oh, i really want like ogre battle 64 and like why is this like little kid want this like game that like no one's ever heard of um and then you know i ne- i played uh night of lotus when it came out i really loved it um and then in 2010 they there someone released a fan translation of the super famicom version of this game and so i played that and it was really cool and then like just as i was finishing it the psp version came out and then i like played that you know to a hundred percent i loved that i love that game so much yeah you weren't kidding about these games being rare um ogre battle the first one in the ogre saga did come out in North America on the uh, Super Nintendo and PlayStation, and both are super hard to find. Um, then Tactics Ogre, which is the second one, uh, only its PlayStation version came out in North America uh, until the PSP version, and that is one of the rarest PlayStation games. And Ogre Battle 64 is one of the rarest N64 games. For some reason, no matter who was publishing it, and because it, it, did, it wasn't always the same publisher each time, uh, they did not make enough of these games, and it was it has been one of those uh, I don't want to say secret RPGs or like it, it's been a niche fandom that's very passionate, but it's it, these games have just been hard to find, and that's part part of why I never played Tactics Ogre even during my Super Nintendo and PlayStation playing heyday was because I just couldn't get a copy of the game. Uh, I was really interested in it when it came out on PSP. This is my turn now t- talking about my Ogre Battle fandom, I guess. Uh, or Ogre Saga fandom. I uh, I was really interested in this game when it came out on PSP. I, I played the very beginning, but it's, I sort of fell off it. I a, a lot of people recommended this game to me. My best friend played this before I did, which is weird, because normally I'm the one recommending RPGs to him. And uh, and I play a ton of strategy RPGs from your Fire Emblem to your Disgaea to almost everything in between. So it's a little weird that I've taken so long to get to this one. But uh, I'm finally committing to it now. And also... Uh, I love Matsuno. Final Fantasy Tactics is one is on my short list of favorite games of all time. I really enjoyed playing Vag- uh, Vagrant Story last fall, and um, and and I I played Final Fantasy XII many years ago. It's maybe not one of my favorites in in the series, but I I really enjoy it. I I love Matsuno's work in Final Fantasy XIV. He wrote the uh, Evilise Alliance um, side yes. qu- side quest, and he is writing the Resistance so web good. and the res- and the Resistance weapon side quest, which are both. Uh, sort of flavored by his um, uh, by Matsuno's past works with Square Enix, but they're but they're written just beautifully. Like uh, the, the the level seventy raids, the uh, the Evilise Alliance is one of the best side quests in Final Fantasy fourteen. Full stop. Oh, it's the best one. Yeah, it's 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 really good. Um, I so I've always liked Matsuno. I, I I've also tried uh, the Super Nintendo Ogre Battle and the N sixty four Ogre Battle, and I own them in in uh, digitally in some form or another. Uh, by which I mean the Wii Virtual Console. I never finished any of them, except for the Game Boy Advance spin-off Night of Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> I I did play that and finish it enthusiastically, and understand and I understood that it ties into Tactics Ogre, but well, um, not exactly how until now. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I my, I'm a bit of an Ogre Saga noob, but I do enjoy Matsuno's work, and I at least play the GBA game. Uh, so Zach, um, what's your background with the Ogre Saga? Um, so I played around like when I was really young with like the original Ogre Battle and I just like did not understand it at all. Um, Me like, neither. <laughs> like the RTS elements of it, I was like, what's happening here? Like I just kept dying. And I, I didn't get it. Um, 
I played a, a little bit of Knights of Lotus um, when I got it in GBA, I don't know, like in 2000, 2003, um, or whatever it came out. Um, but like, I, um, my cousin is an enormous fan of Final Fantasy Tactics, and so I remember telling him about Tactics Ogre, and he was like, what? What is this game? It's the same person who did Final Fantasy Tactics, and we drove an hour and a half <laughs> to go get a copy of Tactics, Tactics Ogre on the PlayStation at like a GameStop that was like, an hour and a half away, obviously. Um, and so, like, and, and he's not, like, a huge fan of Tactics Ogre, but um, that's about as far as I go. I mean, in terms of Matsuno, I've played um, Vagrant Story. I've played Final Fantasy Twelve. I've played Tactics, of course. Um, and the Evil Lisa line stuff is amazing, and I'm an enormous Matsuno fan. Um, so the fact that it's taken me this long to come to Tactics Ogre is a little disappointing to me, personally. Um, but it is amazing, really. I, like through the work that he does and yeah I'm, I'm excited to play tactics over i'm disappointed in myself too that it took me this long because this game goes hard right from the beginning um matsuno's writing is uh I, like while i was playing i was trying to think of of the right adjectives for it and i came up with shakespearean and <laughs> and grandiose because every single cutscene feels like a character is either pouring out their heart to another character or making a statement so powerful that it's going to change the life of, of themselves or another character. Like like everyone, it, it feels like everyone is is just going uh, going one hundred percent at all times. Like there's a lot of uh, a lot of big statements and a lot of passion in the in the script here. Uh, so, so am I off base here, or is this is or does Matsuno just go 100% all the time because I mean just look at the chapter subtitles <laughs> <laughs> that's that just seems I mean that's just kind of his thing um and also with you know the localization team that the job that they that they do on his games yes you know, when you look at when you look at the incredible localization for 12 and great localization for vagrant story um the one for the PSP remake of uh, tactics is really good as well. I mean, they're all um, kind of composed of that Shakespearean dialogue. It's all just filled with this ugh, wonderful melodrama. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all they're all kind of like this, and I adore them for that. <laughs> Have you read anything about like his influences? Like, does he talk about things that he reads that he wants to emulate or? I, I don't know specifically. Um, the way that he has this game on alignment paths, and that he chose law and chaos versus good or neutral, and and my knowledge that I know that uh, that that some Japanese RPGs were inspired by D and D campaigns makes me think that he yeah he's at least not a stranger to pen and paper RPGs. Yeah. Uh, but I I don't know of his specific influences. Um, be, but like. <laughs> I, I don't know, like like the like the big flourishes and uh, and like maneuvers characters make makes me think like this guy's probably read the the Chinese epics like Romance of the Three Kingdoms, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he and he's probably not a stranger to like samurai period drama kind of stuff because because that's the like those were some of the thoughts I had just with the because uh, I I mean jumping around a little bit the the first big branching moment is. Um, do you want to slaughter this village of innocent people or not? And the uh, and and just like that's like one moment out of several that feels like the like the game taking big swings every three or four fights in in terms of like plot and character motivations. 
Right. And I, and one thing that I think kind of when I when I learned this, it helped me understand kind of his uh, approach to game design is uh, that he apparently loves making like reenactments, like dioramas of different war scenarios, mm. um, which I think is so interesting because when you look at it's these tactics games, it is like these little sort of scenarios, these little dioramas that he's making of, um, you know, this character can move so many spaces, but it's a confined area of a, a certain battlefield, um, which I find really fascinating. And, and also when you compare the RTS gameplay of Ogre Battle to the uh, turn-based, grid-based gameplay of Tactics Ogre, it uh, Ogre Battle almost looks like you know, like a, like a war room scene in a movie where generals have a, a large table with the battlefield represented and they're, and they're moving, uh, they're moving like little, uh, markers with a, with a long pole or something, uh, like, like ogre battle feels like that with sort of units moving along a flat map and then, and then clashing with each other while this uses space more specifically and terrain more specifically and is at the, uh, the isometric angle. That we so that we might associate with Final Fantasy Tactics nowadays. This is not the first strategy RPG. Fire uh, Fire Emblem is something like four or five years older than Tactics Ogre, but um, the, the isometric angle and use of space is. If it didn't begin with Tactics Ogre, Tactics Ogre took it a level beyond that. I'm aware of. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm aware of it being before, for strategy yeah. RPGs. This is a very very influential game. It really is, and and you know like he's he's so important in this story, but it's also just the overall quest, you know, the overall quest team, um, you know, Hiroshi Minagawa, uh, Hitoshi Sakamoto, um, doing the composition. Um, it's just kind of, it's just kind of a meet Akihiko Yoshida's character designs. It's just kind of all these things coming together. Um, and you know, this team worked together on a number of games and they all have these sort of, the same sort of flavor to them. And uh, one more element to the story that for many decades I associated with Final Fantasy Tactics, but uh, o- uh, Tactics Ogre clearly did first. There's so much lore in this story and background information. Um, there's a huge amount of story that we don't see. Uh, a, a large number of past events that influence the action of the game that a player might not be aware of unless they go into uh, what basically amounts to a codex the uh what's it called it's uh, like warren's log or warren's warren's report warren's report that's it if you read all of the things in warren's report you get a lot of character background information some optional cutscenes, and even optional side quests and a huge amount of text about the kings and wars and conflicts leading up to the events of let us cling together that is not in the explicit action of the game that uh, is, is a fascinating read for one. Maybe not a necessary read to enjoy the game on its surface, but it, it, there's just so much of so much of the story of this game is in there, slightly hidden from the player. That um, uh, I, I find frustrating at one level. Uh, mostly, I like to see most. Of, I, I want most of the story given to me and not hidden from me when I play an RPG. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that also speaks to just how much world building and planning and how many notebooks worth of <laughs> where the character information was in the was in the draft of this game because like, like Ogre Battle One, Ogre Battle sixty four, and then Tactics Ogre are episodes six, uh, five. No, no, what is it? Is it um, yeah, five, six, and seven of the Ogre Saga? So 
presumably he at least has ideas of episodes one through four and just an enormous amount of ideas and um and and lore in the ogre saga world that we're only getting a glimpse of in the surface of tactics ogre and and, and of course final fantasy tactics has a similar uh codex you can read and it makes me think of you know a lot of different things like bioware games where you can uh you don't really learn about all the alien races unless you read the codex so not only is the writing in this game great the planning is great and there's so much more writing and planning that you don't see if you only play the game battle to battle that it's it's overwhelming to me. Yeah. I would say too that the writing in the Warren report, they're usually like very short entries and just like the way that the you know, this history is being told is so concise and like excellently executed and you know you mentioned like a bioware game, which is like so much text that you have to go through and like half of it doesn't mean anything to you. So I just think they do a really good job with how they convey so much with really so little. I'm, I'm kind of half and half on codex on codices. Is that the plural codices? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think so. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't usually use that word in regular conversation. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the codex in Mass Effect is outstanding. The codex in Final Fantasy 13 is, is <laughs> bothersome. Um, this one, I think it, it's more because it's not, you know, it's not voice acted and such and isn't as uh, visually distinct. It's um, it is more like the the FF thirteen one, but its brevity saves it. <laughs> where that one is not brief at all, and this one just is able to dole out small bits of information um, in an easier pace. So, yeah, I mean, like the the codex is good, but like I, I don't find myself going back to it all that often um, as I'm playing the game, uh, the Warren report, because like. While they're interesting, they don't seem essential to me. Um, like the, the characters' backgrounds, like it's, it's an interesting thing to explore. Um, but like in terms of like the forward momentum of the story itself, like they're there. It's cool to read about, but like it's not something that I feel super compelled to do. They are needed for some of the recruitments, though. Yeah, yeah they I, open uh, side quests. Yeah, I mean, and I, I like I'll always open them. <laughs> for that reason <laughs> there's also cutscenes that i don't think you get in text normally um uh zach did you see uh, i know that zach you, you and i are on the same story path or at least the same story path for chapter two did you see mm-hmm. uh oh uh, did you see the death scene of ravnus i did the I what did. <laughs> yeah um, you're on the long route man I, I know i know <laughs> yeah, um, uh, one of the major characters, Ravnus, dies at the beginning of Chapter 2 if you make a certain choice, but you only see her sort of shot and then taken to a hospital in the text of the game. But if you check her code, uh, if you check her entry in the Warren report during Chapter 2, you can see her death scene in a, in a hospital bed, basically. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she's a, yeah, and, she, and she's a yeah, and she and she's and she's a recruit a recruitable character on the law path, which is what Joe's playing. Um, we should mention a little this a little you're bit. Dead to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Tactics Ogre has branching paths uh, called Law, Chaos, and Neutral. And um, p- partially by design and partially by accident, uh, uh, Joe, Zach, and I playing this game for the first time are each on a different path. Uh, 
and uh, I, I made a dumb assumption uh, before getting to these uh, path choices. I knew that the paths were called Law and Chaos, just from some very minor, minor background reading uh, without spoilers. Like, uh, uh, like, oh, the game is very different in the Law Path versus the Chaos Path. And I thought, I thought to myself, okay, cool. Law is basically good guy and Chaos is basically bad guy, right? And that is false. Um, in turn, like, like uh, I'm used to branching paths in video games to be not entirely binary, but pretty binary. Like, uh, some games are more nuanced than others about it, but usually it's a good option versus evil option that convey different benefits or at least significantly different tones. Um, and I naturally, because, uh, I don't know, because I'm a just small thinking idiot, associate law with good and chaos with, with bad. So my, my assumption was law good, chaos bad. Uh, I don't know which path I'm going to take. I'll, I'll just sort of make decisions as they come to me because um, I, I have avoided spoilers for this game. But that's not really what happens at all. That uh, aforementioned massacre of innocent civilians at the end of chapter one, the law choice is to murder the civilians and the chaos choice is to refuse to murder them. And uh, be because the choice of law versus chaos um, is, is, is similar to a D&D &D align alignment chart. Uh, basically, law is lawful neutral in which you sort of uh, are trying to support order and structure and have your, uh, your chosen faction in the best position to win, while chaos is like, screw law, screw order, screw structure. I'm going to follow my heart. Like, like the, that, that's the difference between law and chaos. Like, uh, like, like playing to win or, and, uh, and, and, to main, and to uphold your oath versus following your heart and breaking your oath. Again, again using D&D &D alignment, the law path feels like lawful neutral, and the chaos path feels like chaotic good or maybe neutral good. And, uh, the, and the even though you're doing the more humanitarian decision at the end of chapter one on the chaos path, it makes a lot more trouble for, uh, uh, for our main character, Denim, and his crew. So... Uh, so, Joe, you went with the law path. Did you do it um, for story reasons, like like you want, uh, like you wanted to win? Did you do this to uh, deliberately choose a different path than Zach and I, or did you just want to recruit Ravnus? I just wanted to recruit Ravnus because <laughs> 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 I had I had seen um, her character design. I was like, oh, that's a cool design. And then when I was going through the story, um, Ravnus, um, so. You know, in the story, there are these different ethnic groups, and Ravnus is um, she's uh, half Gagastani and half Wallister. Um, I just had to uh, had to recruit her, like as someone who's also like a mix of mixed ethnicity, being white and Latino, and so I'm like, yeah, I need her on my team. <laughs> um, but it definitely sets you down a weird path. Um, yeah, the the whole um, massacre. Um, I thought it was. I was like, okay, this is a bad thing I'm doing. And then as I learned more about what exactly it was that I did, it just got worse. Yeah, because <laughs> I was at, at first I was like, okay, this is bad. I'm going to you know allow for the the killing of this you know barn full of people. Okay, that's really bad, but. Uh, I guess. And then it was like, oh, okay. It was more than just the barn full of people. And then I learned it was 5,000 innocent people. And that just, yeah, <laughs> it's bad. 
Yeah, um, you go into that town. Uh, I think it's called Balafuda or Balamula. Oh shoot, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get names. Okay, I'm gonna get every single name wrong uh, over the course of this podcast, and I apologize in advance. But uh, uh, Denim and his uh, compatriots go there, intending to liberate it because it's it's under controlled by Galgastani forces, and uh, it's it's uh, it's people are largely Wallister, and they're like, all right, well, we'll liberate the village. The Wallisters will join our cause. Uh, that's great, but then uh, when you ar- when you arrive there, the uh, and and you do defeat the occupying force, the, uh, the the villages there I think are largely farmers and miners, as in as in they work in a mine, not in the, not that they're under eighteen or under twenty one. <laughs> um, uh, they're they're like they're like hey we just we don't want to be in this war we, we just want to survive even if it's under the thumb of an oppressor and uh, and the main characters Denim uh, uh, Vice and Katua are all a little bit appalled or uh, or at least disappointed and um and and when you pass that on to your superiors which is uh the duke uh round uh is it roundway yeah yeah the duke ronway and his uh and his knight captain leonar uh his two seconds in command are leonar and the Af- aforementioned ravnus uh basically the command from ronway via leonar is if these people won't be able to help us, we should kill them all and blame it on the Galgastani or the Backroom, um, which are the the other two factions. But I'm going to back this up a tiny bit. This is this game takes place on a, a on a set of islands called Valeria, and the three ethnic groups or clans or tribes are Wallister, Galgastani, and Backroom. Uh, Backroom has uh, Backroom has ties to the previous king that sort of unified the whole island, so they have maybe the most uh, financial and and, and uh, entrenched structural power. The Galgastani are the largest ethnic group within the island, so they have uh, and and they're led by someone called the Hierophant, who is like who's advocating for a cleansing of the other two races. They're they're uh, they they seem violent and evil at the beginning, and then the and then you have the Wallister, which is uh, at least at least feels like the most oppressed of the groups at the beginning because they're smaller than the other two and both being and being hunted by the other two and uh, your main characters are Wallisters who were uh who whose village was sw- uh slaughtered by the dark knights of lotus which is a force from the neighboring from a neighboring nation that was employed by the backroom <laughs> so we're already we're already talking about four factions that I'm having difficulty keeping straight but uh it it, it culminates in the end of chapter 1 where uh, you're ordered to slaughter an innocent village of over five thousand people, and blame it on on on, uh, on your on your enemies, and if you agree to do that, then you join the lawful path and and stay with uh, Duke Ronway and Leonor and that crew, and and Ravnus survives if you choose that path, and if you choose the chaos path, then you flee the 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 village. Um, one of your two companions, Vice, uh, decides to side side with Leonor and Ronway. Uh, but but your sister Katua stays with you, and uh, you become hunted by basically everyone. On the Chaos Path, you have no friends and no allies until uh, except for ones that you sort of meet and turn yourself. So uh, Zach, I know that you and I both went the Chaos Path after Chapter One. What are your thoughts on the law versus chaos, the the sort of direction of the story that you took um, over the beginning of the game? I mean, I knew uh, because Joe told us that, like, in order to get Ravnus, who was a character I also found interesting, that I had to go law. But, like, there's no way I can slaughter a, a village of innocent civilians, even if it's to, like, push forward the interests of the Wallister clan, who I do think are probably of the three. 
the most oppressed. But like the, the like like I think this game interrogates the idea of ends justifying the means in a lot of different ways. And there was just like no way I was going to do that. So I um, I went chaos um, because I could not kill all those people. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that, that the story takes some interesting paths in chapter two while you're on chaos, but I've read or heard the lawful sort of has the best story in terms of the three. Um, and we haven't talked about this, but you have the ability to go back um, play other paths once you've hit the end of the game and I'm definitely intending to go back and play lawful once I get to the end of the game yes I have not gotten there myself I'm in chapter 3 still but after you beat the game you do unlock uh, the ability to sort of revisit parts of the game or replay or take new paths in the game uh, in almost like you're navigating a flow chart like you're playing zero escape or something which is which in a game with branching paths and, and big choices like this is a, a very attractive proposition to me <laughs> But uh, Nelson, I think Nelson, you're playing Chaos this time too, right? Yeah. So I just finished up a Chaos run. Um, when the game was new, I like played every chapter, but it. I feel like I couldn't, you know, yeah, like like we said, like I couldn't play a lawful route this time. Like it's too foul to participate in like a genocide, you know. And uh, Matsuno, I believe, has said that. Tactics Ogre was inspired by like the real world Bosnian genocide, mm-hmm. which was yeah. still yeah, very fresh in the nineties. Yeah, that would have, that would have been going on right around the same time, even. Yeah, and so you know you sort of think about it in like real world terms, like no, you know, like I, I can't, I can't go down that route. You know, like sorry, Leonar, but like <laughs> you're really wrong, and um, and just you know. I, you said earlier about how like law and chaos it doesn't really equate to like good and bad like it might seem, um, and I think that's really smart of Matsuno you know to design like the roots that way because you know nobody wins when people are killing each other you know there is no like good and bad there's just like people are dying and and it's. It's interesting playing, um, especially like the chaos route early on, when um, you know you get into these battles and you're like, "No, like I don't want to, I don't want to have to kill you," <laughs> but like your enemies just like, "No, like we're gonna fight. Like I know you're gonna kill me, but like we have to fight." Um, yeah. So so many of those chaos battles in chapter two are either uh headhunters or um or bounty hunters looking for you uh wallister knights that uh can't believe you betrayed your people and and because they, they uh, because the wallisters blame the uh slaughter on the golgastani and and basically accuse you of supporting the golgastani but to the golgastani and backroom you're still a wallister so everyone is hunting you whether it's from a neutral position or for your own people or other people uh in the chaos route and you, you you feel just incredibly misunderstood and persecuted <laughs> for the entirety of Chapter 2. And uh, one of the characters that joins you in Chapter 2, um, Aracel. Aracel is a Wallister. Uh, um, she had friends and family die in the, uh, in, in, yeah, in the, uh, in the, in that uh, slaughter. And is the, she Leonard's girlfriend? Uh, yes, she's Leonard's yeah. fiancé. Yes. And, um... Yeah, she blames you uh, because of what Leonar and the Duke said. Uh, she blames you for the slaughter, and uh, it it takes 
you have to rescue her in one chapter and then have her accompany you for two chapters and hear and basically hear the truth of what happened at the massacre uh, from the horse's mouth for her to finally trust you. And it's it's not quite that way for all of chapter two, but there's just a feeling of no one believing you and you being misunderstood and hunted for the entirety of the chapter two chaos route. And uh, you also meet uh, a group called the Liberation Front, which is uh, Golgastani that does not support um, the Hierophant. Basically, they're Golgastani that want a that want that are not trying to uh, to murder the other the the, the other clans, but uh, but uh, but still want to you know want to survive and uh, and and can and control Valeria and uh, uh, another character um, Saria is leader of that group. So you have. The Golgasani led by the Hierophant, the Golgasani led by Saria, your group, which is mostly Wallister, the Wallisters led by the Duke and Leonar, uh, the Backram, which is the, again, the, the entrenched royalty from the previous regime. And then you have the people from Lotus, which were working for the Backram, but then early in chapter, in, I think near the end of chapter one, you enter a ceasefire, with, the Wallisters enter a ceasefire with Lotus, even though Lotus is the group that slaughtered your village uh, several years earlier. There are so many different factions and machinations happening that I sometimes struggled to keep them together. I had to do a little bit of advanced reading and, and, and take notes to figure it all out, and I'm, I'm probably still making mistakes, that... Um, Again, this is, I think, signature to Matsuno's writing and makes the story feel so much bigger than what's in the game that it, it just makes everything more and more fascinating. Like, the more I read about uh, what's going on in the background of Tactics Ogre, the more impressive it is to me. Uh, it, it, it's really good. Yeah, he does a really good job, too, of making this like very large grand like sweeping historical story also feel very personal and each of the npcs that you meet and like each of the you know leaders that you have to fight like they all seem very real and like very sad and there's just like a lot of weight to everything that's going on I mean, I think, I mean, I generally agree in terms of like the sweep, but, you know, and I hate to bring up Final Fantasy Tactics, but these two, but Final Fantasy Tactics is so similar to this game. Oh, yeah. So Tactic- more about when we get talk about like the battle systems, but like in terms of the story, even like, like Denim and Vice certainly have their similarities to Ramza and Delita. But like to me, like I, I don't know, maybe I've played Final Fantasy Tactics too much, but like <laughs> I, I don't have the same sort of, investment in the characters here because maybe partially because like we're tossed into it and like all these characters are so defined by conflict that i can't ever see any moments from them that are not about conflict um and and we'll talk more about some things that happen with chapter three between like denim and his sister but like it to me like I, i i think it's an interesting story i think it's it's a compelling story but because i am not engaged in any of the characters like, I think that hurts the story in a lot of ways for me personally. I think that Delita is a much more nuanced character than Vice. Oh, and, especially in Chaos. At least. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I mean, Final Fantasy Tactics is a succession war similar to Tactics Ogre. And I mean, Tactics Ogre gets called Final Fantasy Tactics Zero sometimes uh, because of the, how similar they are. Uh, it, it's a different kind of conflict that are similar on the surface, but when you get sort of deeper into either into either of them, Final Fantasy Tactics feels more personal and feels more like a class struggle, 
while uh, Tactics Ogre feels more like a political struggle, struggle multi, uh, motivated by different characters wanting revenge on different groups in a way that I, I think is very personal in the moment. Like, again, there are so many impassioned speeches and challenges in Tactics Ogre that, mm-hmm. every, that like, like every scene feels like them going 100%. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and I think that it boils down to, like, us never really seeing what created the conflict us never releasing the consequences because like I went chaos route like you, but I didn't see those villagers get slaughtered and I'm not sure if you do unlawful. Um, I, I don't know, but like, I, I, I feel like there's like a weird distance that this game has in terms of telling this sweeping epic political story that I'm not as invested in because I feel like I'm only hearing the speechifying as opposed to the actual events that impact real people here. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. I think about, there's this, um, I don't even know what chapter it's in anymore, but there's this enemy you're fighting and he's like a, he's like a wizard and he's like kind of older and you, you know, you kill him cause you're killing everybody. And then at the end of the battle, he's like, oh, like I never got enough money to feed my family. And then he dies. And like, that's so poetic. Like it's so heavy. And, like, you don't need to know any other, like, backstory. Like, it is it is what it is. Like, it's very slight. And that's just, that's what I always really liked about it. Yeah, there's, there, there are a few moments in it that give, like, that don't define the characters by conflict. There's um, a scene with Holy Night Lancelot um, and uh, a music box that I believe was his sister's that he plays. Um, and, and that scene reminded me of the the kind of the blades of grass scene oh, yeah, from um, from Final Fantasy Tactics with, with um, the worst flute sound of all time, at least in the PlayStation version. <laughs> I yeah, I love that flute sound. Like I <laughs> I I'm endeared to that. But yeah, I, I I I wasn't really feeling much towards the characters. I'm starting to get there more now. Um, but it, it it's not drawing me. The characters are not drawing me in as much as um, it did with Final Fantasy Tactics, but the um, I think it's partially because of the aims uh, that each game has. I think Final Fantasy Tactics it's more about like that. I think the main theme of that is kind of forgotten history, um, and and this one kind of adopts. Well, I mean, it came first, so it kind of has a bit of that, but it's more about like a, um, it it feels like this game is kind of pulling at not wanting to, like uh, surrendering to the sort of feeling of um, hopelessness and not wanting to, but feeling that because of its sort of, because of its um, being wrapped around the Yugoslav wars, the genocide in Bosnia and, um, it's it it feels really entangled with that yeah i i think that final fantasy tactics is uh ultimately a class struggle but it, as a narrative device it uses a uh it uses this sort of re re uh reexamination of uh of an event to learn the true history of the event so like from the be- from the very beginning in final fantasy tactics you're like uh we all know about the legendary king delita but we've re- examined these old records and it turns out there was another young man named ramza and it's and it, and sort of it's it's the story of the story of ramza and delita through the eyes of ramza with the knowledge that that delita ends up uh emerging as a 
as a monarch in Final Fantasy Tactics, which is not a spoiler. That that's that's a, from the first mm-hmm. uh, five minute cutscene, and um, in Tactics Ogre. You are um, there's no narrative device looking back or advanced knowledge of how of how it resolves. You're more you're in the present of the conflict, and it it wants to convey, like Joe said, the hopelessness of such a conflict, the uh, sort of the horrors of war, uh, the how how choices are never are never right, and and something always like there's always suffering in any choice you make, and uh, and it's. Um, I, I mean, again, Final Fantasy tactics in this game are so similar, but have just tonal uh, ideas and narrative thrusts that are very different. Like, like you, they, when you're playing them, they feel the same, and they, and when you're reading the dialogue, it feels almost the same. But it's there are tonal and structural changes. Uh, I, should, I should say, it's tonal and structural differences between Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics that are really huge. But, but let's talk about a little bit on how they're similar. Both uh, both of those games um, you have an I sort of an isometric view, uh, a grid a grid based battle system with different elevations and different terrain types, and with uh, you know your sort of slightly boxy, slightly cartoony characters marching in place while they wait for orders. Um, it, it wouldn't be a final. It wouldn't be a Monster <laughs> Tactics game without that. Uh, and and with a and even though uh, Tactics Ogre does not have a job system that similar to the Final Fantasy adjacent one in FF Tactics, it's there are plenty of similarities. Uh, uh, but but a few differences that I find pretty interesting. Um, Nelson, you played the PlayStation version, and I guess Zach, you did too a little bit. Uh, d- did all of them use the shared experience for an entire class? No, that, that that's a new the, thing. That's new. Okay, this version. Which was actually because, like, the level scaling was a thing, which they level scale a little bit in this, but not the same way. Like, it, it would level scale every fight to your main character, so Denim, um, and, like, Denim would usually be ahead um, of other characters and other classes. Um, and so it was, like, a, an internal, like, normal RPG thing. Um, and it would also, like, mean that you, like, had to grind a lot in that game to get your other characters up to snuff. It's one of the reasons I didn't get all that far in the original version of this game and there was exploitative ways ways to grind because uh, when i was doing a little bit of background reading on the game they were like well there's no training exploit and no cleric exploit where you can just gain a bazillion levels in one fight uh which is to, to, to a degree interesting to me as a disgaea player who loves ridiculous exploits and rpgs but also um just makes the the class based leveling of this more intriguing to me because again individual characters don't have levels uh, individual characters do gain skill points, which you can uh, allocate to um, passive and, sp- and special skills. Uh, but the, they just have a class level, and if you um, if you change someone to uh, knight, they will be the level of every single knight in your army. If you change levels to uh, wizard, they'll be the same level of every wizard in your army. And that is makes it extremely easy to... It, like, if you want everyone to be your highest level, then just switch everyone to your class that's at the highest level. But... It's not always that easy since um, you can't change classes freely. You have to use items called class marks, which some of which are, sh- are sold in shops for basic classes, but others are limited commodities. So for a while when, oh, I don't know, uh, ninja is a very uncommon class, uh, you can't make everyone a ninja because you're limited by the number of ninja class marks that you have. But later in the game, 
uh, ninja class marks are sold in shops, so you you can eventually train every uh, train ninja by making everyone a ninja if you want. So it's um, the the one that uh, the, the game that I find this most similar to, just from my personal experience, is Valkyria Chronicles, because in that game also uh, all of your classes are sort of share a level, and you're leveling up individual classes and developing classes more so than characters, but characters do have individual skills you can customize, and. I honestly don't mind it. I'm, I'm in a little bit of a rocky situation right now. I uh, There are two classes I found recently, uh, Ninja and Dragoon, in fact. And uh, I have not trained either of them at all, because my uh, army is very much equally divided between knights, archers, and magic users. So I have those in the level 14 to 16 range, while, uh, while Ninja and Dragoon are stuck at level 1, and I'm not sure the best way to level them up. I need to do a little bit more um, of that on my own. But, uh, Nilsson or Joe, what do you think of the nuances of the class system and leveling in this game? Because it's, it, it's a different vibe than what I'm used to in a strategy game, because it, it, uh, it's less individual and more, and, and, and more sort of uh, army developmental. Like, what are your feelings on it? Yeah, there's definitely something, like, it's very robust, but it's also very impersonal. Um, and it always felt a little random or arbitrary to me, like, how much experience points I get at the end of a battle. Whereas, like, in Final Fantasy, like, you see, like, you do an attack, and, like, you get 10 experience points and, like, 3 job points, and, like, okay, like, I know that it does that, and I understand that, now I can, like, do that a 100 times and, like get the skill that I really am looking forward to getting and tactics ogre yeah it always feels like a little arbitrary or like sort of out of my hands almost and one of the things that was really driving me crazy is each of the each of the characters they you know they're in a class and then they have like a list of skills and the skills unlock at certain levels but you don't see all of the skills at the beginning of the game. They like sort of are revealed as you level up more. And it just feels so like there's not enough information to like make the best decision. And so I kind of just forgot, like didn't pay like a lot of attention to it and just kind of like let it do its own thing. And I like never fought like an extra battle to grind. I just like went into story battles with, you know, two or three level one characters, and it's like, all right, like that's just what we're doing. Yeah, and also, it, it fe- you were mentioning on how out of your hands it feels. Um, it felt like I was getting the exact amount of exp and job points at the end of every fight, whether I killed all ten enemies or just went right for the leader. Yeah, I don't think it matters. I think if you, the more enemies you kill, you get like slightly more skill points, but like barely. Like it's a waste of time to try and kill every enemy in every fight. I, I think it. I think it affects the loot you get, but definitely not the exp. Yeah. Yeah. You get more. You get loot from yeah. the like, drop. I didn't get dragoon until very late because I there was a fight where you can get class marks for dragoon. I didn't kill them. And so, like, I didn't get Dragoon until, like, I think Chapter 3, which is beyond what we're talking today. So, yeah, I mean, I think that part is important for sure. I, I got about a dozen Dragoon class marks because I really tried to kill everything unless it was something like a golem and I just could not be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with basically everything that's been said. It does feel a bit impersonal and it does feel a bit hands-off. Um, with Final Fantasy Tactics, I think in the mechanics part of it, 
that game is that game is helped by its by its final fanciness. Like the the aesthetics um, are kind of more fun and more interesting. I think the job system has more personality in that one. Is this one? There's like I don't like that there's a beast tamer class. I just think it's kind of boring. <laughs> it's it's not like a uh, um, some of the some of the strange stuff in Final Fantasy Tactics, like the the, uh, the arithmetician slash calculator or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. It... And the like, and some of these classes just don't seem like they have a whole lot of uses, or they're kind of strange to use, like the uh, terror knight. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is just like, all right, we're rolling archers and ninjas, baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's what it feels like a lot of time. Where it's where it's kind of a double-edged sword for Final Fantasy Tactics is that um, you do have that individuality, which is nice, but the Final Fantasy-ness, I think, gets in the way of the story a bit. And so far in Tactics and Tactics Ogre, that hasn't happened. But, you know, at a certain point in FF Tactics, it becomes... Um, a bit more about these impure gods and such, and it loses the political intrigue a bit um, to come back to it in the end. But it doesn't seem like Tactics Ogre is following that same thing and is more committed to being a game about political intrigue and not having perfect decisions. Another thing, you know, comparing Final Fantasy Tactics to Tactics Ogre is in Final Fantasy Tactics, you know, you're training squires and chemists and then like they level up a little bit and then you unlock new classes and that doesn't happen. It doesn't, the classes don't work like that and tactics ogre. And I always loved that. Like that's, it's super like addicting to see like how you're, you know, you have like a couple levels as a squire and a couple levels as a monk. And now like you're unlocking like a knight or something like those equations were always very interesting to me and were always like really compelled me to, you know, go further with the battle system. Where monk is unlocked after night, but but your point absolutely yeah, stands. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> I, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being, I'm being a jerk. <laughs> um, but the classes in this game, again, they feel sort of arbitrary. It's like, okay, you've got ninja classes. Like now you're going to turn your knight into a ninja and now he's going to be at level one again. Like, all right, like why was he a knight at all? Like there's, you know, it's just, Mm-hmm. It feels a little silly. And, 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 yeah, the lack of like cross, like the ability to pull skills from other classes. I mean, there are a few, sure, um, that you can pull over, but they're sort of universal amongst all the classes. Like I don't know, sidestep, which is a skill that allows you to like avoid archer archer units uh, and their attacks. I mean, like it, it, it feels like there's so much less customization to it. Um, and whereas, like, if I want to pull like a level one ninja or whatever, like and maybe I'm unique in this, like I'm going to go grind out to get like my ninja up to level 10 before I take on the next story battle. But that's what I, that's what I wanted to do. And I'm sort of struggling figuring out how, I mean, just like find a battle that is like mostly human units and make sure they all have anatomy, which we all should have anyway. Oh yeah. Skill because it, because most of the enemies are human, make sure they're all human. And then like just set them in the back for like three battles. And like, it just seems like, I don't know. Like it seems like it's not like grindy necessarily. It's just, it seems silly actually to me. Like I, I get what they're doing in terms of trying to level the playing field about the different fights that we have, but like the, the, this class system just seems like there's like four 
classes that I can lean into ninja archer knight and you know maybe mage and you know whatever the version of chemist here is I can't remember the name um cleric yeah cleric um you lean into those and like they do all the dirty work always and like I can play around with swordmaster or terra knight or whatever but I just don't need to and like it's just like extra time because I actually don't think this game is very hard um at all actually this game's pretty easy outside of like some of the ridiculous save the person events <laughs> yeah um which i'll rage about in a moment here i'm sure but um outside of that like this game isn't hard it's so, like why don't i just like use the same four classes whereas final fantasy tactics absolutely rewarded you for experimentation mm-hmm. you know using multiple classes pulling skills from multiple classes it just feels like such a step down which makes sense it came first but you know what i mean but let's be real, the biggest difference between Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics is that in FF Tactics, archers are just terrible. While in, while, while in Tactics Ogre, they are... Uh, I haven't experimented much with Ninja yet, I, but I, like probably my most important class to use in the game. Archers deal incredible damage. Uh, you can be very creative with arrow placement, even though elevation and obstacles are a factor, which, which, is, which is a cool system. Like The archery feels good in this game, but it also feels so powerful. Maybe it's a little bit too... Uh, true to life, where you know, in in uh, in medieval times when archery was sort of mastered, uh, it was almost considered unsporting <laughs> be- because of <laughs> such a huge advantage uh, superior archery was. Um, hey, magic users are better in this game too because there's no casting time. Yeah, magic I mean, users, like, magic users, magic is good. Tactics. Yeah, yeah, magic is good in this game, which is which is helpful because uh like especially certain monster characters like golems and dragons will have much lower uh magic resistance than physical defense so you want to have some magic damage on your team just to handle those uh although like i think nilson mentioned earlier sometimes it's just easier to say screw it just i'll let the golem punch my guys i'm just going to go kill the commander and end the battle because because why not because why not because you're going to get the same amount of your ex- of experience and job points anyway um but yeah, like Archer. I'm with Zach. Archers, knights, um, and uh, I guess ninjas. Although I haven't played with ninjas much yet, and and clerics just for the sake of healing. Even though your knights can do a lot of the healing, um, I actually dropped from two clerics to one because it was. I thought I felt it was better to just have four knights instead of three and just have them just heal each other and uh, and and block enemy units while my while my archers and Canopus, the winged man, <laughs> just rained death everywhere. Uh, it's, it, this is not a challenging game. You can win most battles with a strategy, with a sort of hold the line with archers kind of strategy, and 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 again, it's it, you sacrifice the individuality and experimentation of FF Tactics for a battle system that is fun and mostly interesting. But again, I'm early in chapter three, maybe midway through chapter three. I'm sort of uh, annoyed that I can't jump right into Ninja and Dragoon like I wanted to. And I'm annoyed that I'm limited by items for a class system instead of being able to unlock them uh, through a more player-controlled way. There's irritations to it, but I don't think it's bad. Like, I, um, I'm still having fun. Although, damn it, I wish I could just level up a ninja how I want to. That's just so annoying. Um, and I was super frustrated because I just recruited, like, a, a plot-relevant character um, in my playthrough who's a dragoon, but like he he comes into my party and he has all these skills, but he's level one. Like why why does he have 
Why does he have Dragon Slayer and Beast Slayer, but he has a bronze spear and he can't equip chainmail? Like, I don't, <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, this is where Matsuno got his idea for Final Fantasy XII of, um, of, like, of um, buying licenses to be able to equip advanced armor, which uh... is not, not, not my favorite part of FF12. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a weird part. <laughs> yeah, the uh, but yeah, the the class level limited limitations and and equipment limitations from all of this is a weird vibe. But I'm I'm still having fun. Let's go back to the story for a little bit. In uh, the Chaos Path of Chapter Two, you uh, finally sort of um you you take down uh, occupying forces from the uh, Golgastani and and eventually retake the. Uh, the same castle you liberated uh, at the at, like partway through chapter one, um, and that and that results in the my least favorite battle in this whole game. Uh, Zach, we'll talk about your uh, about your guest character liber- uh, rescue missions in a moment, but you do a one-on-one duel of Denim oh. versus his for- his former best friend Vice. And this is also terrible. Yeah, yeah. Vice is so much stronger than Denim. He has a little bit more speed, at least when I had my Denim as yeah. a knight. So he'll uh, to be able to attack you more, deal more damage, and occasionally heal, and occasionally use his his super move when his TP gets above a hundred. So it, it's you're, you're it's a ballet of slowly chipping away at his health, using defend actions or special class skills at the right time and just trying to get him to around 30 or 40 health so he sur- so he surrenders. I it took me two tries and the second try was like a 45 minute battle. It it took me uh, at least two episodes of murder she wrote. Um <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, took me, like, it took me like seven battles. So yeah, I, I, I well I, I was lucky cuz I think knight is an I is a good class to handle oh, him yeah. with and I, I had mean, been I had and I had, over two night with uh, denim to do it. Yeah, and I had uh, I, I had been using three uh, like three knights for the entire uh, and the entirety of the game, including denim. So he had knight skills, and I could switch to knight easily. So like like me accidentally stumbling into a into an okay strategy for it still was a huge struggle. And the battle is a one on one. It should not take long at all, but it took so long because you deal no damage at all device, and he can heal himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. It, the, the, I actually thought it was worse than there's a one-on-one fight in Final Fantasy Tactics, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone. The, there is, and I, I think you can compare the two. I think it's you can, yeah, you can compare the two because it's a it's an unexpected one-on-one fight in the middle of a uh, castle segment, so you can't leave and level mm-hmm. up unless you have an alternative save. Yep. Uh, also, saving a lot and multiple save files in this game, in, in Final Fantasy Tactics and this game, but maybe especially Tactics Ogre, very very worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my least favorite fight, even though the the choice that happens afterwards I think is interesting at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I I was lucky that I had a save file that was before that castle sequence because like my denim was a ninja at that point and he dealt like one damage per hit as a ninja to de- uh, to vice. Um, so I was like, okay, that's not working, obviously. Um, and I didn't have that many healing items on hand. Like I had enough, I thought. Um, but I was able to back out to an old save file, flip Denim over tonight, change his skills, use skill points on different things, and load him up with like 30 healing items. And then, yeah, yeah I mean, even on my, I think it was like my fifth or sixth try at that point, like I just had to like spam healing items. Um, I, it, they were just barely enough to overcome the volume of damage that was being done to me. I, I did have uh, Divine Magic and Self Heal, which allowed me to heal for 40, mostly when I wanted to. But I also had the item problem. I, I had a bunch of the healing items that it healed me for 25. 
but very few that heal for 50 or 75. And I could deal maybe six or seven damage with every strike to him. Maybe it was, yeah, like seven or eight maybe. But he would hit me for 20 every time, sometimes attack twice, and sometimes hit me for 60 with his special move. And he could heal himself for 25 almost whenever he wanted. So it really felt like a numbers game that I was already losing. And uh, it, some of it was very good timing of defensive skills, and some of it was dumb luck that I, I, I was able to win on my second attempt. But again, that second attempt, because, the, because he kept healing himself and I was dangerously low on items, it really felt like I was... Uh, like, like it was, a, it was a, probably close to an hour. It was just a battle of attrition that I hated, and not like any other fight in the game. See what's I think. Um, have y'all fought Leonar in your in your playthroughs? I have not. No. No, I don't think so. so. I think so. I think in the law route where you guys are fighting Vice, um, Vice actually teamed up with me. Vice and Aerosol teamed up with me to fight Leonar. So okay. that would so make that... it a lot easier because oh, Aerosol's no. busted. <laughs> Ar- Ar- Aerosol is every bit as good as the Archer classes in this game, except she has higher stats and takes more turns. Yep. Um, so I mean, that was a walk in the park, but it did have a but it did have an interesting um, narrative bend to it um, because in my route, um, like after basically after Balmusa, do y'all want? Yeah. Are y'all? It's okay to spoil that. Going back. Okay. Mm-hmm. So with so after Balmamusa, like things do not go well <laughs> much at all for um for Denim and for Duke Ronway. Um so uh Denim and Leonar go back to the Duke and Leonar kills him, kills the Duke, and then Leonar comes at Denim and he's like He's like, there can only be one of us. We have to unite the forces. And so he comes to kill um, Denim. Denim, you know, is joined by Bison, Aracel, and um, and kills uh, Leonar. And then at the end of it, as he's saying his dying words, he was like, I wanted to, I knew that we had to unite. And honestly, I'm glad it was you. And then he just, he just dies. And it was like. This is the end of chapter two or the end of chapter three? end of chapter two okay right um yeah and so it's just um that was oh my god that was such a good moment like it was because you think that he's that he's this kind of power hungry maniac and it's like no he won he thinks that denim's the better leader and the one to move him forward but he wanted to kind of finish like to kind of um make true what he thought and so he challenged him and he lost big time so i thought that was a fantastic end to the chapter that's better than what happens in the chaos route in the chaos route um you're retaking that castle and you fight vice and when vice's health gets low uh leonar interrupts the fight and said hey uh the the, the knights of lotus the uh the uh um the what are they called the, the dark knights los lorian they betrayed the ceasefire and are attacking us um we need to put aside our differences and unite against them and then you make and then that's you make a story choice whether to rejoin with leonar and uh and vice which is the neutral route or say screw you guys i'm going home which is the, which is continuing the chaos route and uh and and, and that's where zach and i separated i went mm-hmm. chaos route because i just i mean I think of Vice as such a 
a, an idiotic rage monster and Leonara is such a manip- manipulative dick that I did was no int- I was not interested in rejoining with them, which puts a bit of a schism between uh, Denim and Catua, but and also basically you it's basically just like starting uh, chapter two again. You go but you go into hiding in the same chapter at the I'm sorry the same town at the beginning of chapter two, and you're suddenly and you're beset by uh, by bounty hunters again. So I'm, I'm not again I haven't played a lot of chapter three yet. I think I'm six or seven fights in. But uh, I, I don't know. Like it feels like I'm running in a bit of a hamster wheel right now in the plot. I want to see where I'm fighting a bunch of necromancers and undead units and dragons. Um, and I'm interested in playing more. But I, I think that uh, that that ending to chapter two in the law route feels more satisfying than what I than what I got in the chaos route. Yeah, that's so. It's so weird that, like, I mean, it makes sense because of these branching paths. But, yeah, Vice, like, has done nothing wrong <laughs> in my game. Um, and so He's it's basically like a Kefka villain in the Chaos yeah, Central he, route. Yeah, he, he, is, he is a cartoonish villain with yeah. very little nuance in, uh, in the Chaos route. That's so weird. He's like a, he's like a Ramza sort of character in my route. <laughs> like, he doesn't really do anything wrong. He's like generally on the like the right uh human side of things oh that's really funny if anything he's like he's like argath in ff tactics yeah. in this world oh, the worst character in that game <laughs> yeah. oh my god uh that that's algus if you've only played the uh the playstation yeah. version of ff tactics all right well that takes us to the end of chapter two in this game uh the neutral chaos and law routes feel very different i um i, I zach i want to hear from from you how the neutral route is in chapter three because i'm i sort of don't love the chaos route chapter three which when i kind of liked it a lot in chapter two it's okay uh, okay <laughs> all right but we have uh we have a lot to discuss um this is i know this game is in four chapters and four is the longest one and the one most backloaded of the side quests so I want to hear about what kind of characters and situations we get in uh, in the latter part of Let Us Clean Together. But uh, I have one last question before we start housekeeping. Um, famously, the main series Tactics Ogre games, uh, March of the Black Queen, Let Us Clean Together, and Person of Lordly Caliber, take their names from Queen songs. So if our dreams come true and they announce a new chapter in the Ogre, in the ogre Saga, what Queen song do we want as a subtitle? Um, you could you could go for a hit or go for a deep cut. Uh, I'm not the biggest queen expert, so you could probably make something up, and I'd believe you. Um, but <laughs> what uh, what what? Um, even though I do enjoy Queen very much, uh, what suggestions do we have? I want to go as basic as possible and to say we are the champions. I think it's an excellent choice. All yeah. right. Is that, is that your pick? Is that your pick as well, Nelson? Yeah, I would agree with that. I feel like a lot of people don't even know that trivia. So like. It would be fun for like a whole new generation of gamers to be like, wait, what? Like, why? <laughs> all right, Joe, you um, you might have the most uh, queen knowledge of all of us. What's your pick? You have to put a little more thought into it. It has to be Seaside Rendezvous, and it's a naval tactics game. Mm. That's oh, an excellent good. choice. Right. <laughs> okay, my uh, my first thought was Princes of the Universe, but I I, uh, I I think that, but I mean, I don't think Universe totally fits with the vibe of this game uh, or this series. So I my my sec my the, the two I like best are either the show must go on or uh, Words of the Prophets. Mm. I'm, 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 I'm sorry, Voices of the Prophets. I can uh, take that. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah my, my, I think I think my official pick is the show must go on. I, I would I would play uh, Tactics Ogre. The show must go on. It's like a Tactics Ogre Sakura Wars. 
Yeah, sure. Just, oh, just I would make the I main would make the main it. characters uh, some floating weeds style traveling players for yeah. for the for the Ozu fans in the audience. <laughs> I would play the heck out of that. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right. But uh, listeners, thank you so much for hearing our uh, first part of our discussion on Tactics Ogre. I'm having a lot of fun with the game so far, despite my frustrations on not wa- not being able to level up Ninja properly. Uh, but uh, by the time we, that we, we reconvene next week, I will certainly have Denim and three other ninjas dominating uh, <laughs> dominating the battlefield. And uh, that is what, what we're doing next week. Next week is our second uh, Tactics Ogre Let Us Clean Together episode. In August, we are doing two episodes on Mario & Luigi's Superstar Saga. We announced that earlier this month. And I'm partway through uh, Superstar Saga right now. I'm basically double-fisting my Vita and 3DS, uh, playing the remake versions of both of those games. Uh, and While some crime drama of varying quality is going on on my television screen. And, uh, and after we do Mario & Luigi's Superstar Saga, we're do- um, episode 250 is upon us. Uh, that is going to be a mailbag episode, so please send emails to retro at rpgfan.com with any question that you might have for us, but especially suggestions for a future Retro Encounter game. We will read all the emails we can on episode 250 and, uh, and also just you know generally celebrate uh, more than five years of Retro Encounter uh, when that episode happens in, in oh. late August. <laughs> But uh, and after 250, uh, plans are still being made. But I want to do another trivia game show episode. So that is going to be, uh, I think, episode 251 or 252 is going to be another quiz show. So uh, please look forward to that as well. But uh, listeners, you, in addition to emailing retro at rpgfan.com, you can comment on our message boards, visit the Facebook page, visit our Instagram page, our Twitter page, our Discord server, and our Twitch channel with something streaming every day. Joe and Nilsson, both of you are on the social media team, so if uh, a listener were to interact with one of those social media pages, one of you could be the very person they're interacting with. Wow. <laughs> it's <Lucky> amazing. <laughs> And in addition to Retro Encounter, uh, RPG Fan hosts three other fine podcasts. Random Encounter about randomness every two weeks. Phoenix Edge mostly about current events, but with also themed episodes every week. Uh, they usually record on Monday or Tuesday and post on on Wednesday or Thursday. And Rhythm Encounter about RPG music, which may yet come back this year. There are plans being made for, for Rhythm Encounter that we cannot share yet. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh... <laughs> Uh, it's been a while, but I think we are getting more Rhythm Encounter in 2020, that, but don't tell Mike Salvato I said that on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but you can, uh, you, you can review Retro Encounter or those other three podcasts on iTunes or Google Play or whatever listening venue you choose. We recently changed hosts, so now you can find Retro Encounter and others on Spotify and, uh, and a bunch of other different uh, services, the new hosting um the hosting change has been good to us. But uh, please leave feedback or and listen to us however you prefer. We want all the listenership and all the feedback we can handle. So uh, speaking of social media, let's share our individual social media with the audience before we sign off, uh, starting with you, Zach. Well, I'm not going to share any social media, but um, if you want to contact me, you can email me at ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can find me on Discord at ZachW. Close enough. Now, Joe, your turn. <laughs> You can find me on Discord, Instagram, and Twitter uh, as at EvoLeast. And Nilsson making his triumphant return to Retro Encounter. Uh, How can well, listeners find you? <laughs> if you're not following any of the RPG fan social media, definitely follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, me personally, 
you can find me uh, at nilson.itch.io. That's where I put all my games. Mm, oh, you have, an, you have an itch.io page. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, hit me up. I make weird games. <laughs> please, please hit up Nilsson and his weird games in itch.io. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not have any weird games in itch.io. I'm simply not as cool as Nilsson. But uh, you can find me on Twitter most easily. I am at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times. I'm also Monsoon Mike on RPG Fans Discord. So, uh, Joe, Zach, and Nilsson, the show must go on. We are not yet the champions. Uh, yeah, whatever seaside thing Joe said. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Thank you. Good night and good luck. <laughs>